0: Ladies and gentlemen, today we have another special guest. Her name is Deborah Greenhut. Deborah is unique in that at age eight, she announced her ambition to become an author. Her mother replied, "Become a teacher instead. You'll make a living." A crestfallen ten-year-old Deborah perfected her skill with a spangled baton to twirl solo as the school's mascot. A one-time concert pianist in training, Deborah longed to trade up for a conductor's baton. But that career path seemed closed to women in the 1960s. After earning her BA in English from Middlebury College, then a PhD from Rutgers University, she pursued her original dream of becoming a writer, a teacher, and later a dean.
1: Welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you this morning. So so you are an author. What's the name of your book? My book is called The Hoarder's Wife.
0: Wow, that's a pretty tough book to write. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But uh, um, you were married to a hoarder. How many years were you married to him?
1: We were married for 35 years.
0: And, And was the hoarding there right at the start? Or did it get worse over the years?
1: It progressed over the years. I think there were some signs of excessive clutter and things like that, but it wasn't anything that really would have put me on the trail of of the label of hoarder at that time in the beginning.
0: That's tough. And and I'm sure it's something that becomes more of a problem. When did you start to realize that your husband was a hoarder?
1: I would say that... I didn't want to assign any labels to it. I, I just felt he couldn't organize himself to put things away. And, and that was the problem. But my kids in high school actually were educated about hoarding in their family life classes. And one day, one of them actually pinned the label. And I had to realize that's exactly what we were dealing with. So it was a good you know, 15, 20 years down the road before I had to admit it to myself.
0: Well, you know, we've all seen those shows on TV about hoarders. Was your husband that bad?
1: Oh, yes. Um, I can tell you the the bottom line on all of it was that our house was sold but bulldozed to the ground because it wasn't livable anymore. So it does get that bad if you can't intercept it. And from the hoarder side of it, it's very difficult to stop.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a tough question. And I know you're not a psychologist or a a psychiatrist, but what causes a hoarder to hoard?
1: As I do, I continue to do research on the subject because I also want to understand what was happening to me at the time living with a hoarder. We don't really know exactly. There are a number of Uh, places to look. Some people think it goes along with OCD, and there's a lot of material about hoarding on their website, the OCD Foundation. And some people think it uh, coordinates with ADHD. And my husband was diagnosed with both of those disorders. So uh, we could say that. More recently, though, people who are psychologists are saying that this probably comes about from a childhood trauma of some sort. Uh, And the therapy modalities have switched to accommodate that possibility now. So, well, when my husband was diagnosed, CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy was the tool of choice for therapy. Now they're adding psychotherapy into the process, and I think that's very important.
0: Yeah. And I, I think the big thing about it is it often is because from what I've read and so on, is there often is some loss in a person's life. And, and that's the trauma you're referring to. And because of that loss, people want to hold these objects around them to replace the loss that they've had and yes and, it, it's and almost like a
1: drug that yeah they, it's almost
0: like a drug and and then it gets into the super cycle of trying to hold more and more and more things to themselves to the point that it becomes a big big problem
1: that's correct that would that would certainly apply in my case
0: yeah. And, and it just literally spirals out of control, and that spiral keeps growing and growing. Now, looking back, was there a way to break that spiral?
1: The best way to break it is not to really let the spiral get formed. So at a point where clutter starts to take over your life and you have trouble moving around your house is probably the last point when it might be easy to intercept. Um, I think with the addition of psychotherapy, things might get better for hoarder families or families where a hoarder is part of the the group. um, Because it would help to be able to look at that trauma and to try to process it. The methods that were used before were behavioral changes, but because there were some underlying emotional issues, they never really stuck for a lot of people.
0: Yeah. no, it's quite one thing to live with a hoarder, but quite another to write a book on hoarding. So why did you write the book?
1: I wrote the book because, uh, well, my husband died by suicide. And until that point, we had been divorced, but uh, about four years afterwards, he did die by suicide. But up until that point, I thought, I just want to get away. I don't want to think about this at all. But when he died, I thought, I really need to go back and try to figure out what happened to us, what happened to me, and how I was able to stay for 35 years. So I wrote a memoir first, which I will never publish. And then I thought the, the story is important for other people who are living with hoarding. And I wrote a novel instead in order to process those same truths in a way that uh, allowed my family to keep its privacy.
0: Okay. And so your book isn't a memoir, it's really a novel on hoarding. Yes, Ah, that's interesting. Uh, and only the names and places have been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> actually, a little more than that. I did invent a sibling I don't have, and a few other characters to propel the story in a slightly different direction. And the main character is that musician I never got to be.
0: Now that's interesting, because, you know, in, in fiction, we can take on a lot of roles that we couldn't in really life. And uh, sometimes the truths that are revealed in fiction are often stronger than the truths that are shown in real life.
1: That's a great way to put it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Now, tell me, what? Do you, how would you define and describe hoarding in this day and age?
1: In this day and age, I would say that when you get to a place where your life is being disrupted by the collections of things that you have, you are probably in the zone of hoarding. So if you can't walk around your house or you can't get at essential uh, parts of the house, like windows or doors, you are probably looking at a hoarding situation.
0: That's pretty significant. So. mm what are the starting signs of hoarding? Where, we, what are the first signs of it? And that way, maybe people might be able to get a grasp of it a little bit better.
1: This, this might be a good way to look at the reason for using uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, changing behavior, was that it was believed that hoarders could not make an executive decision about what to keep and what to throw away. And no matter what therapy you use, that is true. My husband could not make those decisions, and he always voted for keeping something because it might be useful later. Now, we don't know clearly whether the the connection is right there. It might be useful later is kind of a stand-in for that psychology of trauma. I don't want to admit that I have this problem. So I'll talk about the utility of something, or I'll talk about recycling or the environment instead of looking at what I am actually doing. So that's my own personal take on, on it, but I think there's some basis in fact for that.
0: Well, that's huge. And I, I think that, that is a pretty significant statement there and something that uh, you are, are seeing some very profound thoughts there. Um, collecting is different from hoarding uh but the the line in the sand is often difficult to delineate
1: it is because many people have huge collections um there are movie stars like elvis presley uh was a hoarder. In fact, if you look at the number of cars he had or the number of memorabilia and and uh, just stuff that was lying around Graceland um, after he died. So, you could look at that as a way of hoarding, but he had enough space for it. So, my definition about interfering with your life might not apply to someone who has those resources. And yet, if he had put them all into one house, it would have been very difficult to move around. So I think we, we have to broaden the definition a little bit there.
0: Yeah, there are some people that collect so much that they simply buy another house so they can keep on their collecting yes. abilities. And that's I, true. I, I think that's hoarding in in a sense, but uh, in another sense, it's, it's probably uh, it's creative and that they've felt a way to deal with it without having to deal with it.
1: Some psychologists identify neat collectors or neat hoarders versus messy ones. Um, If people are allowed to continue and have all those extra spaces and finally run out, it starts to become a very messy place to live.
0: Yeah, and and not only that, it becomes dangerous. I mean, many many hoarded places are fire traps. That they're also um, full of pests and mice and, and, and other environments as a result of being unable to clean those environments.
1: Yes. I'm sorry to say we met some of those in our own life.
0: Yeah. Since you've been doing your research on hoarding, what else have you found out that's, that's interesting and
1: maybe unique? Well, the, um, there was a famous case in New York. I, I don't know if that's the the t- track you want to go down. Called the Collier brothers, and they lived in a mansion in Harlem, and uh, were hoarders for a long time. At one time, they were gainfully employed, and they had functional lives and over time they just kept withdrawing and withdrawing and unfortunately one died on the way to try to get some food for the other so the other passed away but it wasn't until the odors were coming out of the building that the fire department was called and they had to come and, and excavate literally excavate to find them so it was a really tragic story and often uh, i guess fire departments use the code collier brothers for to identify a hoarding situation Rather than labeling it that on radio, so that's one interesting thing I found. Yeah. Um, frightening story. Frightening but story,
0: I, I, but but certainly it tells how bad it can get when you, when you're when hoarding goes to the maximum. Yeah,
1: I also want to say that the hoarding itself is often not what propels people out of a relationship. In my case, it was more my husband's anger. He had an awful lot of depression and anger going along with it. And finally, the anger was too much. And I just felt I, I could not stay and hear any more of this. So uh, it is from... What I've been able to read in chat rooms and other places, it's the frustration and the anger that propel people to leave. We do try to take care of the hoarder, and unfortunately, the hoarder may not want to be taken care of.
0: Now that that's understandable, and that is the difficulty that that uh, you know many people that are hoarders also have uh, what I'd call emotional instability, where they have anger. Uh, Management problems, and that is is another part of the scenario where they're dealing with their their anger uh, in inappropriate ways, and hoarding is just part of the spectrum of their personality problem.
1: Yes, I feel in retrospect. So so sad that I didn't understand the anger was a defense mechanism to allow him to keep what was making him comfortable a lot of the time um, and he could never talk about why he was collecting these things so I, I couldn't have known at the time but it's just so poignant that we weren't able to get to the bottom of it ever
0: yeah that's for certain and and I think uh, the difficulty with all of it is is it's often hard for the spouse in the situation. Because leaving a situation is a very, very, very difficult thing to do. Because the fear of the unknown is always there. And, you know, when you're in a situation, it's easy to stay with what you know, but it's much harder to grasp on what you do not know.
1: Yes, uh, I when I was divorced, uh, a judge actually said to me, uh, the world is not kind to sixty-year-old women. Are you sure you want to do this? She had no quarrel with the reason for the divorce, but she was also worried about what would happen to me and what would happen to my husband. Understanding that we were somehow functioning, um, if very dysfunctionally. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the judge was seeing some very uh, poignant facts there. Uh, I, I think. The world isn't kind to anyone who's 60 years of old going through a divorce. And I think that has also probably led to your husband's suicide because the world was not kind to him after that.
1: No, it was not. No, it was not.
0: So it's a difficult set of circumstances. And uh, going back over the years, perhaps, and I just throw this out, Maybe there was a way out of it. Maybe there was an easier way out of it. Maybe there was some things that you might recognize in retrospect that might have made a difference.
1: I'm not sure. I mean, a therapist told me I would simply have to forget the last 20 years of my marriage in order for my husband to heal. And that was a a kind of blistering statement. I really didn't know what was supposed to come next or how to do that. And Unfortunately, he was creating some very difficult circumstances in terms of our finances, uh, raising our children because of his anger all the time. So it was hard for me to find opportunities to praise him for doing things right, which was now supposed to be my only job. Um, I think a lot of friends who met well would say to me, why don't you just stop him? Why don't you say he can't bring anything into the house? And from the outside, I'm sure it looks that way to people. But from the inside, it's very difficult to resist the hoarder's pressure to keep that going. So I'm not sure what else I could have done. But I think at a certain point, I was worn out from trying to make sure my kids didn't get speeding tickets while my husband set about getting them for himself and things like that. So I, I don't know. At the point when we finally divorced i which was 35 years or 15 years after the therapy i don't know what else i could have done then
0: no and, and I, I i as i said i'm just throwing it out there yeah, mm-hmm. to see if in retrospect there might have been something that could have been done often there isn't mm-hmm. and and often the situation is you have to walk away because the the situation is so bad that you cannot persist in that situation but I, I congratulate you for the courage that you showed in that in, in moving on to a to hopefully what I think is a better
1: life. Thank you. And I should also put that in a little bit more context. We did see a marriage counselor throughout our marriage. And unfortunately, it wasn't clear that adults could have ADHD that at the time. That many years ago, people thought it was only a children's uh, disorder. So they thought people grew out of it. And it wasn't until some years after our children were a bit older, almost ready to leave school, that the therapist called me back and said, I did not know this at the time, but here's something you might want to consider. So at least we had that intervention. And unfortunately, it did not go well, but we did try once again to do something about it. But.
0: Yeah, that- I- that, that's huge. And, and you know, obviously you were, you were trying to solve things, but again, um, the particular problems that were there weren't recognized in such a way that they were able to be dealt with.
1: Yeah. I think it's just a couple of years ago that hoarding was classified as a disorder of its own. So that wasn't even recognized as maybe it's even a problem by itself.
0: No, that's probably true. Well, Deborah. After all you've been through, how do you live a fantastic life?
1: I live a fantastic life by picking up the threads of creative endeavor that I had to leave behind for so many different reasons over the years, maybe excuses, but also reasons of trying to focus on my family first. And now they're grown up, they're thriving, and it's time for me to write some books to Uh, sing some songs, maybe do a little bit more music again, and the things I've always wanted to do. So that's how I sustain myself, and it gives me more energy than I've ever had in my life, and I'm delighted.
0: Excellent. What advice would you give to a hoarder or a hoarder's wife on how to live a fantastic life?
1: I would say get help as fast as you can, as early in the process. If you think there's a problem, try to get your spouse to to come along with you, whether it's a hoarder's husband or a husband or a hoarder's wife, it doesn't matter. If you get attention soon enough, there are more tools available and there might be something that you could do. Otherwise, you've got to carve out your own life. You've got to carve out some things that you can do that give you pleasure and enjoyment. And I warn you though, if you stay, you will not have very much space to do them in. Mm,
0: that's pretty profound and I think you have to move on the things as you can, and I th- I thank you for giving that advice, Deborah. I to Deborah. It's not Deborah. Sorry.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: Oh, okay. My my. I'm looking at two screens at once here. It is. It is. I was looking at my next guest. Sorry, <laughs> Deborah. Um. So if you could cut that out, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if my editors, Deborah. Can you please tell me if you met a younger version of yourself on the street? Could you uh, tell me what advice you'd give them?
1: I would tell that person, don't let the losses keep piling up ahead of the good things, the triumphs, the wonderful things about your life. Life is long and you want to have as much happiness in it as you can. To live your best life, you need to put yourself first.
0: Yeah, and I I think you've shown that in all the things that you've wanted to do and the things that you really have shown you can do. I mean, you wanted to be a writer. You're now a writer. You wanted to play the piano and be a concert pianist. You now can dabble in that and do more of that. You now can do many of the things that you always wanted to do, but never had a chance of doing. You now are on a path where you could truly be fulfilled. Whereas before you couldn't be fulfilled that way.
1: Yeah. Whether it's five years, I hope, or 20 years, I don't know, but as a late bloomer, I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I, I think late blooming has a lot to be said for itself. I, I think, uh, late blooming really is something that is a good thing that you can therefore, uh Enjoy those things without all the other problems getting in the way of them. And, you know, the the nice thing as we bloom, as we get older, is you don't have those distractions. You don't have those million things impeding on things. You don't have all those things going on. And and that is is a wonderful part of our lives as we move on in it.
1: Yes, I'm lucky also to have grandchildren, so there's another part of my life that's very rewarding and fulfilling, and I'm thrilled that my sons and I have been able to continue our relationship despite an awful lot of strife at one time. Uh, They've been very kind to me, and I love them.
0: Well, maybe you can encourage your grandchildren to take some of the paths that you wanted to go on as well. I, I find that's a rewarding thing. And uh, that certainly is is one of the paths that as grandparents, we can give to our grandchildren and they can do some of the things that we never could have done because yeah. those paths weren't opened as we were children.
1: That's true. I think a couple may be Broadway bound if they have their their druthers. So we'll see what happens.
0: Well, that's huge. And I I think that's important. Well, how can people find your book? And could you please name your book for people to do that? And how can they find out more about your world?
1: Sure. I have a website, deboragreenhut.com. So you can go there. And there's a contact form there if you would like to correspond with me. And my book is called The Hoarder's Wife. It's available anywhere that you can order books. You can find it on Amazon. That's probably the easiest place. You'll need those ISBN numbers if you're going to order from somewhere else. And uh, Barnes & Noble has it. And there are also audio versions on Amazon as well as Barnes & Noble. If you not audio versions, I'm sorry, uh, e-versions that uh, are, might be easier for some people who prefer that format.
0: You know that's huge, Deborah. Deborah, I've got to thank you so much for coming on our show today and sharing your wisdom, and thank you also for sharing your vulnerability. You know, explaining what it's like to be a hoarder's wife—it's got to be one of the the toughest situations because you're bearing your your soul to the world, and and it's like admitting, you know some evil things in your past. And those are tough things that you've dealt with. But I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are going through this right now that aren't dealing with it well. So that's why I thank you, because they might see a ray of hope at the end of the tunnel.
1: I really appreciate that. And I think advice to artists is always to go to the darkest place. So if I couldn't do that, I would not be able to create so it's been very important to me and um, healing to be able to do that. Yeah,
0: I think writing a book is one of the surest and greatest ways you can heal yourself, and I think that's important as well. So to the authors out there that are having problems writing, remember it's also it's also good for you as well as the others out there.
1: Exactly. Okay. I thank you for having this conversation today. I have greatly enjoyed it, and it's helped me to collect some things in my mind in a somewhat better way so i thank you
0: well thank you very much uh ladies and gentlemen thank you for being here today and thank you for listening to our show um i hope it answered some of your questions and uh Please check back often as we have lots of interesting guests. Also check out my website, Dr. Alan Leica, D-R-A-L-L-E-N, L-Y-C-K-A dot com, because I have a lot of resources for you there. Bye for now. You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Lyca's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode.